right, well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. We are very glad that you're here, whether you're a first-time guest, second-time guest, long-time member, whoever you are. It's a pleasure to be here worshiping the Lord with you. If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12 this morning. As has been mentioned today is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of what is called Christian Holy Week, which leads up to the cross and to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The week that seems to climax in the death, the crucifixion of Jesus, but really climaxes in the resurrection, the raising bodily of Jesus Christ from that borrowed grave. And during Holy Week, a lot of important pieces come together and come into focus and relief in the life of Jesus. Some things that were not clear to his followers begin to become very clear about the nature of his ministry, his identity, and his work. Really, it's on Palm Sunday, in some ways, that Jesus does publicly reveal his identity as the King of Glory. But all through Holy Week, we see things about Jesus that are important. He is the king of the eternal kingdom. He is the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God who was slain for us. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the victorious conqueror over death, hell, and the grave. So much of that becomes very clear in Holy Week. And in Holy Week, I think we see a little bit more about the blueprint. We see a little more of the groundbreaking of God's eternal kingdom. Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry there into Jerusalem during the busiest week in Jerusalem, Passover week. And this is the pinnacle of Jesus' popularity, if you will. News has abounded about him all through his ministry, really. Gossip has gone out. People have shared rumors, things they saw, things they thought they saw, things they heard other people saw. But with the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and people who had mourned and seen Lazarus dead, and then they see him alive because of the spoken word of Jesus, the raising of Lazarus from the dead has really catapulted Jesus's popularity and fame and his name and so everything is breaking loose now in the Passover week and here comes Jesus mounted on a donkey's foal or colt riding in as king clearly that's what the passage says that John read to fulfill a prophecy of the coming king that is found in the Old Testament prophet Zechariah and the crowd goes nuts because they know the prophecy they have heard about Jesus many of them saw Lazarus and I mean things are just blowing up people are excited not everybody not the Pharisees they're excited the other way they're upset that the whole world is flocking to Jesus and looking to Jesus and they begin to to take palm branches and fronds and wave them and lay them down on the ground in front of him like a royal carpet. These palms associated with 
Palm Sunday. People speculate as to why palm fronds and, and branches. Well, some say it was because that's how they celebrated victory of an army or of a king was by waving palm branches. Others say that no, uh, the Jews specifically waved palm branches in all of their major pilgrimage festivals going back to one we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, the Feast of Tabernacles or booths where they would take branches and, and leaves and things like that and construct a booth. And so they just began to, to wave branches in celebration at all of the major Jewish festivals. But here's what I would say to you. It's a fulfillment of a prophecy in Psalm 118. You should note that in a little footnote in your notes or in the Bible and look back at Psalm 118. They're waving boughs or branches, it says, for the Savior King. Also from Psalm 118 verses 25 and in and around there, there is a picture of people crying out to the Lord. And this is what the people are doing as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. They're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he. Blessed is the king who comes as the Lord's king or in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Nobody says that except in church now. Hosanna. What does it mean? It's a cry for the Lord to save us. Lord, save us. Bring in, usher in prosperity into our lives and into our nation. That's what the people are crying for. Lord, save us. Help us. Yeah. Defeat the Romans. Bring about your kingdom here in Israel. Now listen, to save the people and to bless them with eternal prosperity is exactly what Jesus intends to do, but he doesn't do it in the way that they are expecting, not in the way that they have in mind. So John read the triumphal entry, John 12, verses um, 12 through 19. Now we're going to look at verses 20 through 26 in that passage. We're going to really focus in on a couple of things that I think are really important for us at this time because it's what we celebrate today, but also in the life of our church. Let's read verses 20 through 26 of John chapter 12. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Jesus came and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I truly, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now Jesus' popularity has extended beyond Israel, beyond the Jews. Gentiles are coming in to see him, and now he knows, hey, it's time. What he has kind of kept secret and asked people, hey, don't, don't tell everybody about who I am. Even though you know he's kept it veiled, but now it's time to make it public, and he's cool with that. He says, it is time, verse 23, finally, the hour has come for the Son of Man to receive the glory or to be glorified by the Father. Jesus is though his very next statement turns the whole thing on its head. When you think about receiving glory and coming into the Father's glory, you're thinking about something 
positive, something amazing, something pleasurable, something enjoyable, something honorable. And it is, but it's not in the way that we would think. It's not the worldly path to salvation or glory. It's the kingdom path, the way to glory and prospering in the kingdom of God. Last week, I shared with you the big vision. I saw James even had his big vision glasses on. Those things really help you see the big vision. Show us again, James. You still have those? He was modeling. See, James, stand up, James, real quick. Show everybody. Hey, there's big vision glasses for everybody out in the foyer. Thank you, James. And y'all can get your own. You don't have to get that color. The big vision, building the kingdom. Now, I was really humbled this last Wednesday in prayer meeting when Levina got up and asked People said, Brother Sean shared the big vision. Who knows what the B stands for? Who knows what the I stands for? The G, invest personally. Building the kingdom, investing personally. Who knows what the first G stands for? Somebody know? Gospel focus or gospel centered. And then the last one is glory seeking. Hey, I got one at least on Wednesday night. Nobody else got one. Hey, I realize that we need to talk about these things over and over before we get it. Last week, we thought about and looked a little bit about building the kingdom. The next one, and that's what we're going to focus in today, because we see it in the life of Jesus, is investing personally. Investing like Jesus. That's what he did. He invested his very life and self in other people. And we're going to see a little bit about how to invest like Jesus or invest personally into the eternal kingdom. And here is the key text, the verses, verses 24 and 5. And Jesus says this, now it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. glorified. And here's what he says. If a kernel of wheat just remains on its own, it, it does nothing, basically. But if it falls to the ground, if it dies, if it gives itself and goes into the ground, it produces much fruit. It does not remain alone. It does something glorious. That's basically what he says. And that's how the kingdom of God operates. That's what we see in the life of Jesus. You know, one reason people get so wound up with politics, both back then and today, in the election of our presidents and governors and people, and even the appointment of people like Supreme Court judges is because we know this. We know that the people who lead, lead a country, lead a kingdom, lead an organization, their character and their vision will shape what people do. It will. It will shape the vision for what's moral and what's immoral. It will shape a culture. And so it is with the kingdom of God. We need to understand who this king is, this king Jesus. And we need to see Jesus' moral compass. How many of y'all have been worried about the, the uh, appointment of Supreme Court justice here in the last couple of weeks? Y'all been watching that pretty closely? Some of you, yeah, I mean, the country has been watching this because they know that the judges, what they say is right or wrong, it will shape the nation. And so it is with the kingdom of God. Jesus' moral compass is what shapes life in the kingdom, the values of the kingdom, and how we're supposed to live and relate to one another. And here's what I would say to you today on Palm Sunday. Behold your king. I want you to picture in your mind's eye your king, the king of glory, the king of eternity, the reigning and ruling Lord Jesus, who will reign forever. He's already reigning in heaven. One day he will reign in the new heavens and earth. Behold your king, who he is. 
He is gentle. And he is lowly. And he is humble. And he is loving. And he comes in as a peaceable king, riding on this donkey's foal. Investing like Jesus. Being like Jesus is what Christianity is all about. Hey, every one of us invests our time. We invest our money. We invest our mental and physical resources and energies. We invest our conversations in what we perceive as chasing down what is the good life. We want to use our lives well, don't we? Everybody here does that. And we've got all kinds of little things that help us to know how we're investing our time. My phone makes this little weird sound, and it did it on the way to church this morning. And my wife says, uh, so how many hours of screen time are you having every day? That's what, that's what that little alert was. It, it is actually shocking to see what your phone says, how many hours a day you're looking at that little screen, isn't it? I got a, a little piece in the mail the other day about how my money is being invested and what it's doing for retirement. And I'll tell you, it was depressing. It was depressing. We, we, we want to know how are we doing with our investments, People have got these little watches and little gadgets and things that tell them how many steps a day they're making, how many uh, miles a day that they're traveling. We've got all of these little things. And so I think it's, we should see it's equally important for us to think about how we're investing, listen to this, our entire life. What are you investing in? How are you investing? Is it like Jesus? So, man, that was the longest introduction ever. Here we go. I better get to it. Investing like Jesus, the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus invested himself in human friendships. Jesus invested himself in human friendships, in other people. He loved people. He had compassion on people. He cared about people. He cared about their so-called physical needs, temporal needs, things that were just for a moment. And he cared about their eternity. He just cared about people. He spent time with them. He invested in the healing of people, the well-being of people, the restoration of families. He invested in teaching people. Jesus loved people, and he made friends. <laughs> it may seem simple or obvious, but I think we easily miss the fact that Jesus' ministry is highlighted by going around and being a friend and making friends. He invested in Friendships, because his focus was peop on people. Social science research is very interesting. Today, I, I see a lot of things that confirm, basically, the life of Jesus. The life that we should be living. Social science says this to us, that authentic friendships are one of the biggest indicators of whether we have joy and happiness in life. All the way through life. Authentic friendships are key to Society thriving and for us to thrive personally. You know, friendships, I think, happen pretty easy on the playground. They're fairly easy when you're around a bunch of people just like you in school, all the way going through school. But something happens as we age. It seems to me that friendships get more difficult. And I think for adults, we get married, we get a job, we've got kids, we've got all of these things. And we begin to think that, you know what, friendships are for kids. They're expendable. They're not grown up. And we don't really value them like we should. Building the kingdom, according to Jesus' own life and model, though, is building friendships. So I want us to think for just a minute about this. Very simple concept. Building friendships for the kingdom. Because we're trying to build the kingdom. We 
want to be like Jesus. We want to invest in what Jesus did, invest in people. The Greek philosopher Aristotle, now nobody cares about him, I know, but, but some interesting things he wrote, he, he, he gave a beautiful picture, I think, about friendship that maybe is interesting, and I think that I could point out some things in this passage to you that go along with his model of friendship. Aristotle pictures friendship as a ladder with three rungs. And on the lower rungs, they are the less noble types of friendships. And the higher you go, the more noble or more pure these friendships are. Aristotle's first category was partnership friendships. Partnership friendships. Basically, a partnership friendship is this. I'll help you if you help me. It's mutually beneficial. I'm going to help you if you help me. Now, there are, I don't watch very many reality shows, and I can't even think of which one it is. It's like one of these island shows or whatever, where people, they form alliances. They go, and the ultimate goal is that I'm going to win. Ultimately, I'm going to have to step on each one of you in order to win. But in the meantime, to get to a win, hey, a couple of us, what we need to do is make an alliance. You help me, I'll help you, and what we're going to do is get rid of that person. What show is that that they do that? There you go. See, some people are into that, you know. And, and so you have these partnerships and alliances. But listen, they are totally self-serving. Totally self-serving. That's what they are. Partnership friendships. Aristotle would say that partnership friendships have no real emotional bond. There is no personal connection. It is merely utilitarian. It's merely a partnership. But eventually, I'm going to have to step on you to get over you and to beat you. Where do we see this in John chapter 12? Actually, we see it very clearly at the beginning of John chapter 12 when Mary anoints Jesus with costly perfume and one of Jesus' so-called friends named Judas betrays him. Betrays him totally. Matthew chapter 26 says it is at that point when Judas, who has been helping himself to the money bag, sees Hey, I'm not going to be able to continue to get rich off of this gig. And so he decides to step on the head of Jesus, his so-called friend. We see a partnership friendship on the side of Judas. What's amazing to me about Jesus, though, is that he continues, even after he knows, when he knows what Judas is and what he has done, he continues really to show an amazing level of grace and kindness to Judas, who is totally a self-serving friend. That's a partnership friendship. That's the lowest rung, according to Aristotle. The next one is the pleasure rung. That's the next step up. And Aristotle says, you know, this is a better rung. That's not the highest rung. It's a better rung. The pleasure rung is when you have somebody that you admire for some reason. Maybe there's some beauty in them, they're smart, they're funny, you're entertained by them, whatever it is. But listen, in, in the pleasure rung, there is a level of respect for the other person. You see something noble in them, something likable, and so you're drawn to them. So it's a little better because there is at least a respect there. And you want to be around that person, but ultimately it is still of the same motive as the first. It is still self-serving. It's still, what can I get out of this person? I see something beautiful in them, something smart, something intelligent, something that's helpful for me or good for me. I get pleasure from that person. Where do we see that in this passage? Well, I would say it's the entire crowd, basically, that's crying out to Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna. 
They've heard about Jesus. They're amazed by Jesus, by his miracles, by this resurrection. I mean, I mean, they're fascinated. They respect him in some ways. Why? Because of what they can get from him. Jesus, save us, bring prosperity, help me. Help me to do better, help my family. But what shows you this is not a pure and true friendship is what? One week later, basically, not even a week, what are these same people crying? They're not crying, oh, king. They're crying, crucify him. They're seeking their own pleasure, and when Jesus doesn't deliver in the way that they think he should, they drop him like a hot potato and demand his execution. Aristotle says the third or perfect rung, or the best rung of friendship, is what he calls the perfect friendship. And he said it is totally motivated by love. By the will of the good for another that is pure. It doesn't seek its own. Does any of that sound biblical to you? Perfect friendship is I will your good. I want the very best for you even when it costs me greatly and costs me dearly. An authentic desire for the good of another. And I would say there is no greater example And we see it nowhere more clearly than we do at the cross. We see Jesus Christ, who sees our greatest need is not more money. It is not a short-term pleasure or happiness, but it is eternal life. And to come into the glory and friendship of God. Even when the people couldn't see that was their greatest need. And Jesus is willing to go to the cross And give himself for the good of another. There is no better friend. John chapter 15. Jesus says to his close associates there. He said hey I've called you servants. And and that you are. I, I am the king. But no longer do I just call you a servant. But I call you a what? I call you my friends. And greater love has no one than this. Than that he lay down his life. For a friend. Perfect friendship we see in Jesus. Hey guys, church, as we're thinking about lofty goals and big aspirations and big visions, can I just say that one of the key things that we're supposed to be doing is investing ourselves personally for the good of others, building gospel, kingdom oriented friendships, just loving people, cultivate friendships. We need friends, and other people need friends. We're here on this big blue sphere to serve God, to serve his kingdom, to love others, to give ourselves for the good of others. Building friendships, you need them. I don't care how old you are, you need friendships. You need people in your life. If you're married, then I think don't forget to kindle And build continually your friendship with your spouse. But you need other friends outside of your spouse as well. You have to build those. You have to work at that. It's for your good, but it's ultimately and most purely for their good. To love others. This summer we're going to do some stuff, hopefully, Lord willing, on Sunday nights. Maybe not every week. In fact, there's a small group of folks going to meet today right after church in the library. Just to begin to to frame this out. To begin praying and thinking and brainstorming about this. And, and, you know, the old word for uh, churches and friendship is fellowship. 
But what we're thinking about is just some Sunday night fun activities, fellowship type activities to bring people together so that we can build Christian friendships. You know, it's easy to say that's kind of ancillary. It's kind of secondary or even tertiary to Christianity. It's not. It's right at the core of it. It's the model of Jesus, building friendships. So I hope as those things roll out that you'll consider being a part. We've got other ways of doing that. We've got Sunday school classes where people build friendships together as they study the Word of God. We've got men's breakfast. We've got all kinds of ways. But you have to show up. To be a friend is to show up face-to-face. All right? Let me ask you a question. Who? Who is your friend that you are third rung, giving yourself to invest in them for their best? For them, who? Do you have one or two? It's probably foolish to think that you're going to have 10 or 20 like this. One or two, who are you investing in for their good? Putting your time, your energy, maybe your money into. How? How are you helping your friends to grow? Assess that. Think about that as you seek to invest like Jesus. I need to move quickly to the second thing. So we see that Jesus invested himself in human friendships. Related to that, part of that is that Jesus invested himself through self-sacrifice. Really, this feeds from that point, that true friendship, pure friendship, is about self-sacrifice. It does cost you something. And so he says this little seed, if it's going to fulfill its purpose, it doesn't need to stay on a shelf up here alone. You know what it needs to do? It needs to die. It needs to fall into the ground, be buried, covered up, and it will bear much fruit. Jesus and his self-sacrifice, the cross, is the pinnacle that we're going to look to on Friday of Holy Week. You know, Jesus' death is singular. It's unique. It's a death that no one else can die because we're imperfect. We're sinful. Jesus' death, he went to the cross to give himself for our greatest need that we might be reconciled to God and have eternal life. And only he could do that. Only Jesus could pay your sin debt. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not your spouse. And you can't die for anyone else's sin, sin debt. Only Jesus could do that. And praise God, he did that. He gave of himself all the way to the cross for you and for me. Does that move you at all? To think that the God of heaven would come down to this filthy little place in a filthy time, torn by war and struggles and strife, that he would endure someone like Judas and put up with that. And not give up at that point and say, Psh, it's not worth it. And he goes all the way to the cross, as low as a person could go in torment. And he did that for you and for me. Greater love has no one. This is how we know what love is. Hey, folks, you're not going to know what love is watching Hallmark romance movies. Though I do watch those with my wife on Sunday night. For her sake now, for her sake, just to be with her. Hey, You're not going to learn what love is from Hallmark. You might see shadows of it. You might say, oh yeah, that that seems right. You're going to love it and learn it from Jesus. And it's going to suck you in 
to his vortex. Man, it's beautiful. And he did that to bring you and I close into friendship. It was special. But listen to this, folks. And I'm going to try to wrap this up pretty sometime today. We're on point two, short. Or, um, it's, Jesus' death is unique. We can't, we, can't, we can't do what he did. But there is a principle there in verse 25. And Jesus moves, and he's talking about himself falling to the ground and bearing much fruit. But the idea is that in my dying, other people will come into this. And they'll understand that they are to give of themselves and do the same thing that I have done. It's a pattern. It's a principle. It's an arc of life. It's a pattern, if you will. It's a shape. It's a shape of life. How many of y'all look to your, um, maybe your parents or some of your family or ancestors, and you kind of look at the, the narrative arc, if you will, of how their life went. And you see that somewhat as indicative of how your life is to go or how it might go. In other words, I saw this this week. A guy was uh, writing and he said, you know, all of my family seems to die in their 60s. So I'm pretty much planning to die in my 60s. That's what he said. But we do that. We look at the arc of someone's life. We look at the cultural norms and we say this. Well, it looks like everybody is going to school. They graduate. Then they go to college, you know, and they kind of hang out in this adolescent phase till about 30. And then maybe they get a real job. I mean, they, they might think about marriage, but who knows if we really want that. And kids, psh, they're off the table in today's culture. And we're looking at people's lives because we're trying to figure out what's a good way to model our life. And then we're going to retire and travel the world, you know, say 55, not with my retirement investment statement this week. You know, we think about that. And, and again, listen to what we're doing. We're, we're planning our life. We're, we're taking on a pattern. And Jesus says, the pattern is give up your life. Live your life in such a way like I have lived. Jesus started here. And he went to the lowest place, but God raised him up. And in the resurrection of Jesus, the uh, ascension and exaltation of Jesus, we see that it is the person who is willing to go low in service who God honors and exalt. That's the pattern, the curve of life that we're to mimic. That's what he shows us here. That's the trajectory. Here's what he says, verse 25. The one who loves his life is going to lose it for eternity. The one who says, it's all about me. I'm going to live it for me. Every drop of pleasure that I can squeeze out of it, he says, you are going to be the most wretched, miserable person for eternity. You will actually lose your life by trying to hang on to it and to preserve it and protect it. You're going to lose it. You missed the entire point. But he says this, the one who hates his life in this world is going to keep it for eternity. That doesn't make sense to us. What does that mean? It means, folks, that the pattern of giving of ourselves, investing our lives in others for the good of others is actually the way that the kingdom works. And it's the way to true joy and happiness. And listen, hey, make no mistakes about it. It's going to look like you hate yourself. When you live in a world that is absolutely consumed with self-aggrandizement, and self-consumption, Worried about me, 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 what I can get, not what I can give. We live in a culture that is so fixated on self that we worship ourselves. I mean, 
People can't see outside of themselves. And to that world, to live a life like Jesus seems like, why do you hate yourself? Why would you live your life for the good of other people? Because that's the pattern of the kingdom. And that is actually the way to peace and life and joy. So here's the last thing I need to tell you. Investing your life like Jesus yields glorious returns. Glorious returns. He says in the last verse that we read, verse 26, the one who serves like me. Listen, if you're my follower, there is no other path, by the way. If you're my follower, you follow me. And you follow me to the way of death and self-sacrifice. And the Father will honor and lift you up. He'll glorify you. He will bring you glory. You don't have to seek it for yourself. He'll do it if you will just give yourself to him. The person who serves Jesus. You will have what you look for, which is glory. You will experience a glory that is not from men, but it is from God. It is the path of service. Listen, there's a lot of people that call themselves Christian. And you look and there is no place for service in their life. No place whatsoever for other people. Giving of themselves. And Jesus says, you're not following me when that is the path of your life. The path of my life is service. Hey, put up that picture for me, would you, Clayton? Yesterday, our church had a, a crew that went out to... Uh, the Baptist Ranch, just for a day of service. We didn't announce this very well. It kind of came up uh, suddenly. So I know a lot of you didn't know about it. I know you had other things, and that's fine. But we had a great crew that went out. This is not our whole crew. But uh, we went out and just uh, trimmed some limbs on their horse and ATV trails just as an act of service. The thing that precipitated this whole event was another ch church in our area asked if we could actually come and help do the little bounce houses and uh, bring the block party trailer. We ended up, uh, Rick was cooking the hamburgers. And uh, so we had spent some time serving. And we went down to the creek just for a moment, rode the little ATVs and UTVs. Now, I probably should have blown that up because you can't really see their faces. But you know what, you know what I want to say about this crew right here? They were happy. Can you see it on their faces at all? No, yeah. Man, we had a great time. A great time serving other folks, building stronger friendships together through serving. That is not a miserable crew. It's a motley crew, but it's not a miserable crew. The only people miserable in that picture were the ones I heard ate three of Chef Rick's hamburgers. They probably overdid it with the hamburgers. Serving. Serving. Speaking of Chef Rick, are you back there, Chef Rick? Come up here, Chef Rick. He didn't, know I, he didn't know I was going to call him up here. I'm glad you didn't sneak out early. I, wa I wanted to present uh, here in front of the church um, a certificate of ordination. It certifies that Rick Crunkleton was set apart and called to the deacon ministry of our church on the 27th day of February in the year 2022. And uh, y'all give it up for deacon ministry. Go sit down. <laughs> hey, let me say this about Rick. Rick is a, a servant. And he's one of the happiest guys that I know. And I think those two things go together on purpose. I think those two things are linked. He has a servant's heart, and there's a joy about him. Now, I'm not doing, saying all that to brag on Rick. I'm bragging on Jesus working through Rick. Jesus so loves the church that he made sure that there was a body of folks 
called deacons, which means a minister, which means a servant. And he wants every church to have that. Not so they would be the only servants, but so that there would be a body of folks continually giving themselves to make sure that we don't lose the pattern and the form of Jesus' life, which is to serve. To serve. And we've got deacons in this church that I can proudly say, and I say uh, with humility of you know, knowing these guys, they serve the Lord and they serve the church sacrificially. But they didn't come up with it on their own. It was Jesus' idea. They're just following Jesus. And that's what we're all supposed to do. Let me say a couple more things about our, you can take the picture down if you want to. I want to say something about the ranch. The Arkansas Baptist Ranch, Matt and Brandy are over here and they lead that uh, outfit on behalf of all Arkansas Baptists doing a great work there working in foster care ministry. And uh, you know what, we talk about them often because they are a ministry and a mission right here in our back door and we want to do things to continually support them. We believe in that ministry. Let me tell you just a, a little bit about that ministry and what we saw yesterday. We uh, got to hang out with uh, D. Jones' uh, son and his family. Uh, the Arnold family is one of multiple families out there serving at the Arkansas Baptist Ranch. And listen, you know what they do? They take care of foster kids. They're a foster home. That is, if you do it for Jesus, that is pure and undefiled religion to care for the fatherless. But I will tell you also out at the ranch, what we find is that there is quite a bit of burnout and turnover. You want to know why? Because it's hard. Because it consumes you. But that's the pattern that Jesus set for us. And it's difficult. And so I hope as you have opportunity to help me and help our church to partner with the ranch that you'll do that. But more than that, hey, what about foster care? What about foster care in your family or in my home? Maybe we should all be praying to see, hey, Lord, is that something that... I could actually invest my life and energies and time and my home to doing for the kingdom of Christ, partnering with a group like the Baptist Ranch or adoption or something like that. I know nobody's looking at me right now on purpose. That's the way of Jesus, though. It's one way. It's one kind of ministry that takes on the form of sacrificial service for the sake of the kingdom. Here's another way that you can serve with self-sacrifice. In the month of April, we're taking up the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. That's a way that you can sacrifice financially using the little envelopes that are in your pew or out in the foyer. If you'd like to give, what that does is it goes to North American missions that the Baptists do together, Southern Baptists do together to plant churches, to multiply ministries, and to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Self-sacrifice is the way of Jesus. As we come into a time of invitation, I'm going to ask our uh, musicians and singers to come. And I want us to close our service today by singing and getting our eyes on Jesus. As we prepare to go into Holy Week, you know what you ought to be doing this week in Holy Week? What we should be doing together? getting our eyes on Jesus, reorienting our understanding of what the good life is like and understand that the kingdom life is the only way to life.
If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you, you, you've never come into the kingdom, that's the first step. That's the passageway onto the path that leads to eternal life. To know that Jesus died for you. He took the penalty of your sins on the cross. I would implore you today to really be honest if you've never trusted Christ and, and look at what the world has offered and what you have experienced and tasting it. And I would say, is it bringing you joy? Or is it just a little blip of joy and then it's not so much? Jesus offers you something that will last for eternity. A joy and a happiness and a gladness and a friendship that will never fail you. Come to Jesus Christ and be saved. You turn from your own way, turn from the world's way, and you trust in Him. And for the rest of us, who know Jesus, we've come into the kingdom, but you know what? Maybe we've kind of veered off the path a little bit. The path that leads to eternal life. We've lost sight of giving ourselves for the good of others for the sake of the kingdom. So stand with me this morning, if you would, and we're going to sing together this song as we think about what Christ does in us and for us and getting back on the path. And at the end of this song, we'll be dismissed.
Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are Not.